Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Thank you. How is everyone? How is everyone? Good to see you. Why don't you stay standing for a moment? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank You that You're on the move at Numa Church. You're on the move in our hearts and in our lives. And we ask, Holy Spirit, continue to move through Your Word right now. Father, we open up our hearts to You. And we ask You to transform not just our hearts, but our thinking. The way we think about church, the way we think about You, the way we think about life and each other. Jesus, that You would shape how we do church through the teaching of Your Word. We thank You, O oh God, that there is faith in the room today. We thank You, God, that there is an expectation that when we come into Your house, that Your Kingdom is going to come and Your will is going to be done. And God, I pray today that what You start here, what You do here, we would become carriers of and we would take into every single area of our lives. That it would spill over into our workplaces and jobs and families and relationships and clubs and communities and things that we are all a part of in our everyday life. I pray today your blessing and your favour, Lord, to be upon every single person that's here today, calls Numa Church home. Lord, we are planted in the river of living water. And so God, let that river flow today and let it minister life and healing and power and truth. Let the name of Jesus be high and lifted up, glorified. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, I wonder if we can take a moment just to honour and thank God for all of our people who serve to make Sundays happen. Let's just put our hands together. We've got production. We've got worship. We've got our ushers and volunteers. We'd love you to be a part of any of our teams, our kids' ministry. Awesome, thank you so much. Why don't you take a seat? I'm gonna invite you to go with me to Acts chapter two. I'm gonna read through from verse 42 to 47. And uh, <clears throat> all week, this passage of Scripture has come at me from multiple angles and uh, God's been speaking to me uh, from it. And uh, I really want to pick up where my wife preached last week. Uh, we talked about unity last week, if you haven't, uh, seen or heard that message yet, make sure you get on our podcast or YouTube, have a listen in, because this message really builds upon it. Next week, we have Pentecost Sunday, so I'd encourage you not only to be here, but bring a friend. It's going to be an amazing day. I'm going to preach on the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're going to continue to see God do great things. Then we'll be coming back at night for a four o'clock prayer and healing service leading into our five o'clock all in. All the locations from around Melbourne are coming in. There's not gonna be enough room, so get in here quick. And Pastor David Hall is gonna be preaching the word and uh, it's gonna be a fantastic time. Just to let everyone know that three o'clock on Sundays, our prayer power service is actually transitioning into a prayer and healing service. And we've just, God's just shown us a vision of people coming on crutches and wheelchairs and leaving walking and leaving their medical equipment at the altar 
And uh, we're really believing that that will translate into amazing stories and testimonies and signs and wonders. And so how many of us know you don't have to wait to the three o'clock prayer and healing service to get healed because it's happening all the time. In fact, just this week on Wednesday night at our prayer power meeting, Wednesday night, seven o'clock, we had a lady call an Uber and she might be here today. And uh, she jumped into the car and was talking about her hearing difficulties and the Uber driver was a member of our church and said, well, there's a prayer pal meeting going on at Newman Church and there are people are getting healed everywhere at our church. You need to get to our church. And she said, well, why don't you drop by the prayer pal meeting? True story. She came. We prayed for her and ministered to her and God touched her by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I just thank God that we're in a church where day by day, God is doing mighty signs and wonders God is working and adding to his church. And so I just encourage you, you know, don't just attend a Sunday service, but maybe be a part of prayer and healing service. Be a part of our prayer power Wednesday night. And we're going to be speaking into all things uh, family here today. Acts 2.42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the early church. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. I want to speak to you today on kingdom as covenant family. Covenant family is one of our kingdom culture values, but it's really important that as a believer, a follower of Jesus, or even as a guest here today, exploring about God and finding out answers to your faith questions, that you understand the kingdom of God is supposed to be embraced and expressed as a covenant family. What does that actually mean? Well, several years ago when I was uh, a full-time itinerant traveling the world preaching the gospel, I came across a great church in New South Wales where I saw one of the greatest examples of covenant family that I'd ever witnessed. From the moment I landed to the moment I left, from the youngest to the oldest, there was this maturity in their relational uh, uh, encounters and the way they honoured each other, the way that they approached each other, whether it was dealing with a 13, 14-year-old teenager in the youth ministry or someone of retirement age, I saw this authenticity and transparency of genuine family and I thought it was, though, you know, putting it on, it was a performance for the guest, but it was genuine in all aspects of the life of the church. And I said to the pastor at the end of the weekend, what water are you drinking because I need to drink from that what is going on here? How have you built this culture of family? And the pastor looked at me and said, oh, that's easy. I'm not leading the church like a CEO of an organisation. I'm leading the church like a dad that is building a family. And as I reflected on that, and as the senior leaders of this house, it is our heart's desire to honour the kingdom patterns and the biblical patterns that we see and to actually help us understand what it means and what it looks like to operate as a covenant family of God's people. You see, when a church operates like a family, 
when it carries the DNA and seed of family, it reproduces sons and daughters that are in unity with each other. When a church operates only like an organisation, knowing that there are certain organisational elements about our church because of its size and its influence in multiple locations, there are some definite back of house organisational systems and processes, as you can imagine, that we need and they're important. But when a church primarily is led out of a CEO mentality and built like an organisation or a company, it reproduces almost like employees that compete with one another or consumers that simply consume spiritual goods and services rather than expressing kingdom as covenant family. One of the fundamental narratives that is running throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God is building an earthly family first and your individual destiny second. I really need that truth to settle in your heart today. Because we are living in a world that is very me-centric, individualistic, that believes that the whole world revolves around self. And what can often happen is if we don't allow God to transform our hearts, we can bring that me-centric worldview into the covenant family of the church And what happens is, is that then causes strife in relationships and challenges and different issues and things that we face. God loves you. He's totally committed to your transformation into Christ-likeness. He's given you His Holy Spirit. He's died upon the cross and risen from the dead. He's given you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. It's all available in His Word. But He is more concerned about the health and well-being of his covenant family than just your individual health and well-being. In fact, I would argue that as you read scripture, we will not find our individual wholeness and well-being outside of the family of God. That's why, you know, when people who say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't really wanna be a part of his church are completely missing the point. You cannot separate Jesus from the local church. It's called the body of Christ. We are not the bride of Frankenstein. We are the bride of Jesus. And sometimes the way that we as believers talk about each other or talk about the church, it can reflect something that's uglier than what God intends. You can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like His church. No, the two go hand in hand. And I've said this before, but... When Noah and his family went into the ark because the waters, flood waters were rising and all the animals were on that ark, can you imagine with me that for several months, the family with all the animals, there'd be some mess, there'd be some dirt and stains, there'd be some ugly smells, if you know what I'm talking about, in Noah's ark. And yet it was far better being in the ark than drowning in the flood waters of the world. For all of the challenges of the local church, can I suggest to you that the local church is still God's solution to a broken world? And for all the mess and issues that we bring and that we encounter sometimes in the local church, it is the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ and we've been planted in this house. And so God intends for us to operate as a family in such a way that there is this mutual upbuilding, mutual edification as we become more and more like Jesus. I read a quote this week that was very challenging and powerful. 
It said, parents who treat church as optional shouldn't be surprised when kids treat Jesus as unnecessary. Talk about hit you between the eyes. When we treat church like an optional extra in our busy lifestyle, we reproduce in people around us and in a generation this not just optional extra, but maybe Jesus is actually unnecessary. I know for me growing up, it was not optional to gather with God's people. Son, you're coming to church. And you know, your teenagers may buck against that and fight against that, but let me tell you, one day they'll be grateful that as a parent, you prioritise the church of God. You prioritise that. I am so glad that my parents made me to go to prayer meetings and Bible studies. And I was like, I was spoon-fed Jesus morning, noon and night, burped at the back doors of the church. And, and, and at the time you think, oh man, this is another meeting. But I am so glad. I am so grateful. My kids in my house know this is what we do. This is not in a compartment of our lives. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness because we know all these other things will be added to us. And as I read the New Testament, as we read the Scriptures, we encounter that the church was at the centre of people's lives. It was a part of our everyday lifestyles, not an optional extra that was compartmentalised into an hour and a half on Sundays. And I know that's not our heart or that's not our intention, but we've got to guard our hearts from buying in to the me-centric, individualistic, lone ranger mentality of brokenness in our world and understand that God has brought us together to be a living, visible witness of His presence and His body in the world. In real estate, it's all about location, location, location. In the Kingdom of God, it's all about relationships, relationships, relationships. And that's why the Bible has so much to say about how we treat each other. When you and I make life about something other than what God intends, that's where we encounter problems. That's where we encounter real issues in our relationships and in our lives. And when God created you, He actually invited you to be a part of His earthly family. When God created Adam and Eve, It was his intention to share his dominion authority with them. It was an act of love. And love, the nature of love is to give and share of itself. That dominion could only be exercised with integrity and with effectiveness as long as Adam and Eve, which is you and I, humanity, lived under the lordship and the rulership of God as king. But the moment that Adam and Eve, which if we were in the garden, we would have done the same thing. The moment that Adam and Eve, our original parents, rebelled and decided they knew better than God, they stepped out of the lordship of God as king. And as a result, fallenness and the curse of sin not only marked them physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, but it marked the entire planet. And for thousands of years, this planet has been living under the weight of the curse of the brokenness of that act of rebellion, that decision. And so, a few chapters later, we read about the flood and God hitting the reset button. And then we read about the dispersion of 72 nations at the Tower of Babel as man tried to build a monument to themselves. 
But then in the very next chapter, in chapter 12, God decides to start again with a single man by the name of Abram, which became Abraham. And God makes a covenant with Abraham to become the father of God's new earthly family, which we know became Israel. Now, the concept of covenant, you may not fully understand, but it's really important. It comes from the root word to cut or cutting, speaking of the spilling of blood. And the concept of covenant is a binding contract, an agreement between two parties. An example of this is a marriage covenant. If you are married today, you need to know you've not just covenanted to each other, you've covenanted to God. God, not only, uh, your family was not only a witness, God was a witness to that covenant. And that, that can sort of, I guess, cause all sorts of angst when, when maybe you've gone through a very difficult uh, season or in your marriage or brokenness or a divorce or something like that. And it's not meant to be condemning, but it's meant to be this was God's original intention. That marriage would be an act of covenant between a man and a woman and God. We see covenants right throughout the Bible, particularly an example of this is in 1 Samuel 18 where Jonathan makes a covenant with David, King David, because he loved him as his own soul. And because of that covenant, Jonathan basically gave all that he had to David to the point that after Jonathan was killed on the battlefield and David was now on the throne, he made a decision to honour that covenant that he made by showing kindness to one of Jonathan's household. And so covenant brings into it this idea that we, we give and we exchange, we make sacrifices, we, we bless others and, and we receive blessing. There is this covenant relationship that God has called us to. And in the Old Testament, there could be no covenant without the shedding of blood. In the Old Covenant, it was established firstly by circumcision. Abraham and his household had to be circumcised and then under the Mosaic law, animal sacrifice. Aren't you glad we don't have to shed blood anymore to have forgiveness of sins? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm super excited about that. That you don't have to, we don't have to send everyone off to visit the doctor today. And uh, we don't have to have animal sacrifices on the platform, praise God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has offered up once and for all the eternal, cosmic, ultimate sacrifice. He has shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins and all you and I need to do is to believe and follow Him and we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know about you, but this is a win-win scenario. For all of eternity, you and I are now made righteous. God does not look at you according to your sin. He looks at you through the cross and He looks at what Jesus has done and you are made righteous because of Jesus. And so the covenant in the New Testament was established by Jesus shed blood on the cross and now the circumcision of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When I was in the police academy over 20 years ago, they talked to us about now we are a part of the thin blue line between chaos and order. And it was supposed to endear us to one another and build you know, camaraderie. But can I tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus, you are now part of the thick red bloodline of Jesus Christ. And that thick red bloodline of Jesus bonds us together and it binds us together. And it brings a level of mateship and, and family and camaraderie that no sports club, 
No pub or bar, no tragic experience could ever bond you to one another because for all eternity, we are the family of God. And so if we don't know how to honour each other, respect each other, treat each other as God's family on earth, how are we going to cope for all eternity in heaven? Just look down your aisle, look to the person next to you and write to you. And you're going to spend all eternity with them. And some of you now just become really miserable. And you're like, really? No, this should be, this, the church is supposed to be a picture of heaven on earth. As it is in heaven, so it is in earth. So if there are challenges and issues that we don't know how to deal with now, we've got to work it out because we're spending all eternity together. And that should be a blessing and not a curse to us. Centuries after Abraham, Israel decided they didn't want God to rule them as king. They wanted a king like the other nations around them. And so be careful what you ask God for because God takes your prayers seriously. And God in His grace accommodates His people and He gives them a king after the kings around the nations all around them. And that king, King Saul, like Adam and Eve, rebelled against God and now God has to step in and anoint a king after his own heart. That king's name was King David. The rest of the Old Testament is a story of David's throne and the promise through the prophets of a coming perfect king. We know that king, his name is Jesus. And this king would be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And the Bible says of the increase of his rulership, his government, there will be no end. It will extend to the ends of the earth. It will extend for all eternity. And the story of the New Testament, the Gospels and the letters of Paul right through to the book of Revelation is how Israel and the church as God's earthly family now live under the rule and reign of King Jesus. And what a great King He is because everyone wants a King like King Jesus. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, just after the day of Pentecost, which we're gonna celebrate next week, we get a glimpse into the covenant family called the church. How did the kingdom of God operate? How did the church work? What did they devote themselves to in the early stages of church life? There's much that we can learn. And one of the things that stands out to us is there was a divine simplicity to what they were devoted to. They essentially, verse 42 says, were devoted to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, which is communion, the Lord's table, and to corporate prayer. Now, when faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit is taken out of the church, we have to replace it with human complexity to keep the machine of church life running. When Jesus ceases to be the centre of attention and when the power and presence of the Holy Spirit is removed, man and women have to introduce activities, programs, systems, processes, all sorts of things to keep the machine of church life running. This is not how God originally intended it to be. Now, very, very occasionally I'm asked, well, why don't we have certain ministries at Numa? like other churches have, even though we have a number of ministries here in the life of the church. 
And the simple answer is that the pattern of the Bible, the pattern of the early church, the historical pattern of revival would emphasise the principle of less is more. Less is more. When we let everyone do what's right in their own eyes, rather than what King Jesus wants for His church, what happens is we reflect more of the chaos of the book of Judges, where there was no leadership, there was no order, there was no divine move of God in the book of Judges because everyone was just doing what was right in their own eyes. Rather than reflecting the pattern and health and power of the early New Testament church. You see, revivals are accompanied by a return to divine simplicity of kingdom patterns. What did God say to Moses in Roman, uh, should I say, Hebrews 8.5? He said, build according to the pattern I showed you on the mountain. And in fact, that, pa- that passage or that chapter in Hebrews was contrasting the pattern of the old covenant as good as that was with the pattern of Jesus in the new covenant. And now as believers, guess what the pattern is? Not an old covenant pattern. The pattern is Jesus. Where to follow Jesus. So some days Jesus is like, go and speak to that person. Some days he's like, stay home and pray all day. Some days he's like, now give to that person. Now other days he's like, now I want you to go on this mission trip. Now I want you to go over here and minister, start that life group. Now I want you to go and plant a church over here. How many of us know we're not following a textbook, we're following a person. We're following the person of the Holy Spirit. We're following Jesus. We're not following the latest trends, the latest conference, the latest this, the latest. Jesus is our pattern. And the body of Christ in the early church gives us keys, clues, indicators, patterns that saw them move in great demonstrations of power. We are here to lead a move of God, not a move of man. And the less we emphasise faith in Jesus and the less we emphasise the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to introduce man-made machinery to keep it going. I don't know about you, but that's exhausting. Have you ever tried just to do something in your own strength and no matter how hard you try, it just doesn't work and you just wanna, you know, you know just hit your head against a brick wall because like, I'm given everything at this and it's not working because unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labour in vain. We've got to return to the divine simplicity that the early church actually grabbed a hold of and apply it in our modern context. The early church devoted themselves to four simple things. The results were prolific. They took care of themselves. Let's look at it. Firstly, a covenant family devotes themselves to the apostles' teaching. That word apostle means sent one. It's a term that's given to leadership in the local church. We, myself, would be known as a pastor, but I'm not actually anointed and graced to be a pastor as I am more apostolic prophetic. And in our church, we're building and cultivating a theology and an expression of fivefold ministry in the life of the church. And we use that term pastor because it's a good term that everyone recognises, but not everyone who's called pastor is necessarily a pastor. They're actually being anointed and graced with unique individual ministries. And so the early apostles were those who were responsible for leading the church. And as part of their responsibility, they were anointed to teach and preach. Now, the early church devoted themselves to what was coming out of the apostles' mouth. All right? Without riverbanks, 
A river will turn into a flood during rain season and destroy property all around it. But because there's banks, because there's boundary lines, that river, that flood water can be channeled and get to where it needs to get to. Apostolic teaching is to the power of the Spirit what banks are to a river. Preaching of God's Word directs and channels the river of living water to get to where God wants it to go. And so a move of God is never a substitute for the preaching of God's Word. The two go hand in hand. In fact, every historical revival has been accompanied not just by signs and wonders and a powerful move of the Spirit, but the bold, uncompromising proclamation of God's Word. I can honestly tell you, when I get up here and begin to minister the Word, I feel fearless. And that's not necessarily my personality, but there's something that gets on me when I preach the Word. It's called the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm called to this, I'm anointed to this, and so wherever you see a move of God throughout history, God will anoint and raise up men and women of God and put in them boldness and put on them an anointing and a fearlessness to preach the Word of God because God is wanting, He loves people so much that He wants to get the message through to them. And there is something that happens in a powerful proclamation and bold preaching that changes people's lives. God gets on it and He rides on it into every heart and He changes mindsets, attitudes, physical bodies start to come into kingdom alignment. And so I just wanna challenge you, how devoted are you are to the teaching that comes out of this house? Or are you more devoted to your favourite podcast preacher? Can we just... Talk shop for a moment, be really real. Because with all of the blessing of the access of the amount of books and teaching resources and and podcast preachers and all the things that we can access, what can often happen is we devote more of our theology time and attention to people who aren't discipling us to the people who, who actually are. And so we take on various attitudes, perspectives and things of the the celebrity or famous podcast preachers, but we're not planted in their church. We're planted in this one. And so I'm not saying don't listen to them, but I'm saying, what are you first and foremost devoted to what's coming out of this house in your life groups, in your own personal life? I mean, is there a hunger and a thirst and an appetite for the Word that you go, you know, I heard it on Sunday, but I'm actually gonna listen to it in my devotional time this week? And I'm going to write notes on it. And I'm going to allow this this apostolic teaching, this word, to feed me and nourish me and take me on a journey because God has called you and planted you. If this is your church, He's planted you here. And praise God for all of the amazing, wonderful preachers. I, I listen to them from time to time. But my staple diet is, God, I'm going to sit at your feet, open your word. I'm going to listen to your teaching. I'm going to posture myself. And I'm going to make sure that what I'm preaching, I'm practicing. And I'm living it out. And it's a part of my life. What could happen in this house if every single believer devoted themselves to the teaching of this pulpit and actually imbibed on it and searched the Scriptures? What is God saying to me out of this Word today? I tell you what, there would be revival. There'd be a move of God's Spirit just because we made God's Word our foundation.
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, covenant family devotes themselves to the fellowship of church life. They devoted themselves to fellowship. What does that mean? Well, one of the key words in this passage is the word together. And it's repeated multiple times because God's trying to get something through to us. You'll notice in this passage that phrases and terms are absent. Things like isolated, independent, individualistic. There's no Lone Rangers in this passage, forgetting even Lone Ranger had Tonto. There's no Lone Rangers. There's no independence. There's this interdependence. There's this fellowship with one another. Being in fellowship means we share our stuff together. We see this in the passage that as they devoted themselves, they were selling possessions and they were redistributing the funds to meet needs in the church. What a crazy concept. There wasn't just individuals trying to meet their practical needs by themselves. The early church was giving fridges away and cars away and if it was a modern expression of that. They were doing things to be a blessing to one another. That's what being in fellowship means. What if we came and when we gathered together on Sunday in our prayer meetings and life groups with an ear, is there a need that I can bless and fill? What if I came every week with an expectation, God, how do you want me to bless someone today? A prayer, a word, a meal, financial blessing. What, what is it? When I was itinerant and wasn't able to be here every week, my wife and kids were here before we took on the church. Every weekend I'm in a different church. I would take an envelope of cash with me looking for someone to bless and to give that away. I don't say that to impress you. I'm saying that because I felt I didn't want to just go and give a message. I wanted to be a practical blessing to someone. And so pretty soon I started to get a lot of invites to the same churches because they were all happy when Pastor Corey came to town because someone was going to be blessed. Everyone wanted to host me because they knew a blessing was coming. Let's be the sort of church that people say, I want to be at that place because they are so generous. That's who God is. It's more blessed to give than receive. Being in fellowship means we don't stiff arm each other and hold each other off at arm's length. We share our hearts with one another. We work through conflict instead of cutting and running. We practice Matthew 18. If there is a grievance between you and another brother or sister, appeal to them, sit down over a latte, that's in the original Greek, and just go and have a conversation. Do you know it takes incredible spiritual and emotional maturity to risk being wrong than to think that you're wrong and just isolate yourself from everybody? To actually risk it for the sake of the fellowship. I'm so glad that I'm seeing in the life of our church this, this posture, this cultivation of people being willing to have the honest conversation. Can I encourage us to keep growing in that? Don't just cut and run. Don't isolate yourself. Don't ghost people and cut them off. Let's build covenant relationships. Let's honour each other in how we treat each other because Galatians 6.10 says, we are to do good to everyone, here is the emphasis, and especially to those of the household of faith. You know what the emphasis in that passage is to the church in Galatia and to us? 
is where to prioritize the family of God. If we can't serve each other well here, how well will we serve our communities outside? Can I hear a good amen? amen? There is no point, as good as it is, donating to charities outside of the church whilst financial needs inside of the church go unmet. Can we just preach real today? Because that's what the Apostle Paul, most of the offerings in the New Testament, if not all of them, most of the giving in the New Testament was the priority of God's house. Why? Not because there aren't other things outside the community that are important, but because the church is supposed to be God's solution to the world's issues. The church is supposed to be the living, visible representation and where the church has been backward in coming forward and calling for that priority, often other organisations that are wonderful and amazing have been built and set up to do things the church should be doing. But when we prioritise the house of God and we do good to everyone, but especially to those of the household of faith. Guess what? This living, breathing organism called the church starts to grow stronger. It starts to be resources, it starts to be a blessing to its wider community because the world looks at the church and goes, that's how life should be lived. That's what authenticity looks like. That's what a life that is attractive with the power and presence of God looks like. That, that's what it looks like to do family and community. God calls us to prioritise the fellowship of His covenant family. Let's not devote all of our hours to secular organisations volunteering for them, but can't even give 10 minutes to the local church. No, zeal for your house will consume me, the Bible says. I have such a zeal for the house of God because it is still the solution to man's problems that the gospel of Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is the answer. It is the solution. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other group on the planet that is called to do what the church is called to do. We are God's covenant family. And John 13, 35 says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Let's practice what we're being asked to live by. The Bible goes on, not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship, talks about the breaking of bread and communion, And because that is such an important topic on its own, I actually want to spend a whole entire another message speaking to that. And so I want to leave that there for another day because it is so important that we understand the power and truth of remembering what Jesus has done for us. The Lord's table, communion, is not something to be just passed over. It's something we need to give our attention to. But I want to come to the fourth simple pattern that the church actually followed and that was they devoted themselves to corporate prayer. Covenant family devotes themselves to corporate prayer. In 1727, 48 Moravians covenanted themselves to 24-7 prayer and that prayer lasted 100 years. A 24-7 prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. You say, how is that possible? Well, they all didn't just 24-7 pray. They divided the day into shifts 
and they committed themselves and then more and more joined and more and more joined and that prayer meeting that went for 100 years sustained a global revival. Hundreds and thousands of missionaries were sent out of a place called Hearn Hut in Saxony and Zinzendorf, don't you love that name, Zinzendorf? Come here, Zinzendorf, preach the word. Zinzendorf um, quotes this. He goes, the entire place that started in bickering and dissension through prayer represented a visible habitation of God amongst humanity. Could it be that God wants to do the same thing in the city of Melbourne today? Could it be that God wants to do the same thing in the city of Richmond today? And in your neighbourhood and in your workplace, what was the church doing prior to Pentecost, Acts 1.14? They were all in one accord, devoting themselves to corporate prayer. What was the church doing on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.1? They were gathered together in the upper room and they were praying. What was the church doing post-Pentecost, Acts 2.42? Devoting themselves to prayer. What was the church doing when they encountered a problem, Acts 6.4? We will continue steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is the air we breathe. It's oxygen to our soul. It unlocks an open heaven over our lives. Let us be a corporate praying church. I'm telling you, great moves of God are not just birthed by prayer, but maintained by prayer. If we don't pray, God won't move. It's not because He can't, it's because He limits His intervention to our intercession. God is committed to His purposes only coming to pass through partnership with His earthly family. We are His representatives on planet Earth. God's sovereignty is at work, but 99% of things that will happen through the church have require our partnership. And I just want to encourage you. May My prayer is God tattoo on our hearts a devotion to prayer, an appetite, a hunger, a thirst for prayer. And praise God for that culture building. But I'm telling you, there's more to go. And when we devote ourselves to these simple patterns, what was the outcome in the early church? Simple answer, a move of God took place. The Bible says, awe came upon every soul. Signs and wonders broke out at the hands of the apostles. The Bible said extravagant generosity was extended to whoever was in need. The Bible says that they ate lots of food. You know it's God when there's lots of food. I mean, it's a miracle feeding of the 5,000. God's into food. And uh, just on Sundays, there's no calories in Jesus' name, okay? That could be heresy, but just check the Scriptures for that. Eat lots of food. They daily attended the temple together, each other's houses. Praise was on their lips. How good was it today in worship to praise and lift up a a war cry of praise? Favour was upon them everywhere they went. They went, they walked into community spaces expecting favour. Do you walk into your job expecting favour? You should because you're a son and daughter of God. You live with an open heaven inside of you and over your life. That doesn't mean you won't be without trials and tribulations, but it means even though you may be surrounded, this is how you fight your battles. And I'm surrounded by the Lord. I expect favour. Not because of me, but because of who lives inside of me. I expect it. And you know the amazing things? Favour comes. And God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't go, oh, you're the pastor, so more favour on you. No, He's looking for faith. If you believe, so shall it be according to your faith. He doesn't respect your title. He respects your faith. He's looking for faith. 
And when he finds it, he goes, here you go. Here's more favour. You should expect favour. You should expect promotions. You should expect doors to open. The doors that God opens, no man can shut. The doors that God shuts, no man can open. So don't try and open a door that God shuts. So the key question is, God, is this a door that you've opened or I've opened? Is this a door from man or is this a door from you and your kingdom? What door is this? Because I'm not walking through any door as good as it looks if God hasn't opened it. But we are to be people that expect favour. That was on the early church. And then the passage finishes and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Not, you know, from Christmas, celebrate Christmas event to celebrate Christmas event. Only then were people added to the Lord. Not just Sundays at altar calls. Day by day by day by day by day. This is what covenant family looks like. We devote ourselves to divine simplicity for simple things. We eat the word up. We study it. We live by it. We devote ourselves to it. We commit to corporate fellowship. We share stuff, share our hearts. We work through conflict. We work through issues because the family is more important than my individual preference. We devote ourselves to remembering Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And we commit ourselves to corporate prayer. And as we pray and seek his face, more power is given to us. Our minds become clear. Our spirits are illuminated. Answers come, solutions come. And we go out and live our lives every day of the week with the favour of God upon us. Challenges will come, issues will come, persecution may even come, but we belong to a covenant family. And when the people of God get this, everything changes. This is who God has called Numa Church to be. And this is what God is inviting all of us to participate in. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, We would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.